Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In this series, God and Art, we are going to be exploring God from the perspective of all different kinds of artistic medium. We will be talking about God from the perspective of painting, sculpture, architecture, literature, poetry, film, and photography. My hope is that through these mediums, we will come to a deeper understanding of how God is present in our everyday lives. Enjoy. Our scripture reading today comes from Psalm 8. Let's listen for the word of God. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have found the bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemies and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, What are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the seas. O Lord, our Sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's good to see you all here today. I want to start this morning by telling you about something that happened back in 2003. Back at that time, NASA decided that they were going to use the Hubble Space Telescope. Do you all know the Hubble? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so Hubble, that's the telescope right there. You can see it up on the screen. The reason why they have telescopes in space is because basically when you look at any image of space from the earth, it's like being at the bottom of a pool and looking up through to try to see what's outside of it. It's basically really murky because of our atmosphere. And so for a long time, they've been trying to get a a telescope in space so they could see clearly all of the different parts of our universe. Well, in 2003, they made a decision that they wanted to point the Hubble at this one little patch of sky where they hadn't seen anything before. Now, this patch of sky would be like us if we were holding a pencil out at arm's length trying to look at the tip of that pencil. That's, that's kind of how small we're talking about. And they thought, well, maybe we'll find something that we hadn't seen before. Maybe we'll see a star that's out there that we haven't seen before. And so every time the satellite came around to this particular point, they would train the lens on that area, trying to catch up any kind of loose photons that might be out there. And they did this 400 times for about 20 minutes at a shot. And then they took all that data and they compiled it together into a high-resolution photograph. And when they looked at it, they realized that they were not looking at one star as they had hoped, but rather they were viewing 10,000 galaxies. That's what came up in this one point where they thought there was nothing. Now a galaxy, by the way, just so we're clear on this, has 100 billion stars in it. And so 10,000 galaxies, you do the math on that, that's 1,000 trillion stars that they found in a place where they thought, again, there was nothing. Now what this experiment proved to scientists at that time was that if you do the math out from there, you figure out that there's 
approximately 100 billion stars, or 100 billion galaxies, excuse me, in our universe. 100 billion galaxies, mind you. Now, the sheer size and scope of all this, if we were to try to get a picture like this, of all of the galaxies in our universe, it would take us about a million years with our present technology. If you want to do it at that resolution, what we're doing right there. Now, is this easy for you to comprehend? No, it's not, is it? It's really tough. And so what I want to do is I actually want to show you a little brief video that will kind of put some of this in some kind of perspective for us. And what this video does is it compares the planets and the spheres in our solar system with some of the stars that we find in our Milky Way galaxy. And that hopefully will give you a sense of some of the size of what we're talking about. So let's watch this. Does that help a little bit? (laughs) Not really, right? Now, did you notice how small the Earth is in comparison with that last star, V.Y. Canis Majoris? Which, by the way, what does Canis Majoris mean? The big dog. That's what it means, right? That's what it is. It's the biggest star that we know of. And more than likely, that's not even the biggest star that is in the universe. That's just the biggest star we've seen in our galaxy. Do you know how many times you can fit the Earth inside of that star? Seventy quadrillion times. Now... I'd have to, fi- I'd have to figure out, what is a quadrillion? Well, that's the, that's the next step up after trillion. So 70,000 trillion times. That's how many times you could fit our planet inside of that star. And what's amazing is that, as it points out, that's just one star out of 100 billion in our galaxy. Now, what I find to be fascinating about all this is that around every single one of these stars, there's planets whirling around them. Now, most of these planets are either too hot or too cold to sustain any kind of real life. But every so often, you come across a planet that is in what scientists refer to as the Goldilocks zone. The Goldilocks zone is not too hot and not too cold, right? It's just right for sustaining life. And in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, there is somewhere in the area of uh, probably 40 billion of these worlds. That's a lot, isn't it? 40 billion habitable planets that are out there. Now, the vast majority of these, we know, estimates say that if you do the math on this, that there's a 99.9% likelihood that there's at least some bacterial form of life on these planets. Now, whether or not that life can evolve into something more complex, that's kind of hard to say. Because even on this planet, on Earth, for a long time, this planet was not very conducive to life becoming what we know it to be today. If we were to jump in a time machine and we could fast rewind through all four and a half billion years of the Earth's history, we would see that for the vast majority of the Earth's history, it was far too cold to sustain any kind of life beyond that of a bacteria. It's only in the last two and a half billion years that the Earth has heated up enough to allow for life to evolve and thrive the way that we know it to be today. And there was no guarantee, by the way, that this was going to happen, mind you. A lot of factors had to fall into place on the planet to make that this was possible. Because a lot of times we look at the earth and we say, oh, well, life was going to be here anyway. And no, it wasn't. 
There was a lot of things that had to happen to make it possible for us to be here. But what I find to be amazing about the universe is that when the conditions for life and evolution present themselves, life takes advantage of those situations and those circumstances. And so when you think about it from that perspective, life is really built in to the fabric of our universe, which tells you that with 40 billion habitable planets alone in our galaxy, there is a very high likelihood that out there somewhere in the universe is intelligent life like ourselves. So from this perspective, the universe is kind of like this giant petri dish for life. And every time you go outside and you look up at the stars, you're not just seeing little dots of light in the sky. You are seeing the potential for life. Literally, billions of life experiments are going on all over the universe right now. And some of those life experiments, well, some of them are just bacteria. But others of them have evolved into things like us, maybe more advanced than us. And what I mean by us, let me just be clear on that. I mean an organism that is conscious of its own existence, aware that it exists, that it is here. It can say, I exist, I am. That is what makes us unique. That is what makes us different from all the other organisms on this planet. Now, that ability to be conscious, to be aware, that is actually what allows us to create all this beautiful art that we've been talking about for the last couple of months. It's the fact that we are aware of our own existence, that we are able to create art to talk about that existence. And the interesting thing about that is, though, is that as beautiful as the art is that we've created, things like Michelangelo's Pieta and things of that nature, the fact is God's art is far more beautiful than anything we could ever create. And you know what God's art is, right? All you got to do is look up at the sky. It's all of those planets that are out there with literally an infinite number of species and life forms that we could never imagine. That biological diversity is literally God's art in the world. And this is perhaps why when we read this little section out of the psalm, which I love so much, it says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? When you can catch an inkling of the sheer scope and size of the universe, you very quickly come to realize that God's canvas is simply incomprehensible to the human mind. But this reality, it raises some really important questions. Questions that I kind of like tinkering and thinking about. So, let's say there is other conscious life out there. Other life that's aware that, they, that they're alive, like we are. Do you think that that life can contemplate God? That organism is able to contemplate God? And if they can contemplate God, do they believe that God has communicated with them in the same way that we believe God has communicated with us? Do they have saviors and messiahs? Do they believe in something like a Jesus figure? And more importantly, what does it mean that there could be other life out there that can contemplate God in the way that we do? Now, I don't know how many of you have ever taken time to think about questions like this, but the fact is, these questions actually have a huge impact on our faith and how we think about our religion, particularly Christianity. And so, I know this is going to be a little bit of a stretch for some of you today. I'm just going to put that out there right now, okay? 
But I want to explore these questions. Because I think these questions, they can have a huge benefit to us <clears throat> if we are willing to really explore them. So are you willing to go there with me? Are you willing to try? All right. All right. So let's walk together along this and see where we end up, okay? First question is, if there is other conscious life forms out there like us, if they're aware, can they understand the concept of a God? Can they believe or at least understand that perhaps there's a creator, something beyond them, something responsible for the universe? That's question one. And the way I want to answer this question is I want to go back to the very beginning of my series when I talked about that cave. Do you remember the cave, the Chauvy Caves in France? Okay, <clears throat> so that contains some of the oldest artwork that humans have ever made. It goes back 32,000 years into these caves. Now, what I told you was that these caves, they were not used as a place where people lived. It was used only for ceremony by these human beings. And so what that tells us is that if they use it for ceremony, it was probably religious ceremony. So the concept of God and religious ceremony, it goes back at least 32,000 years, if not further than that. And so what I would like to put forth first this morning is that when it comes to human beings, it seems that our ability to be aware of ourselves is very much connected and directly connected to our awareness of a God. That these two things seem to go together when it comes to us as a species. That when we became conscious of ourselves, we became conscious of God. Are you on board with me on this? Can you at least follow my logic in this way? Okay. So, because we are the only species on our planet that thinks the way that we do, that, that is the way that we are. I mean, there's other species that are close to us that are what we would call sentient. That's what, that's what we refer to. That's the word. So, for instance, I think the closest thing to us is actually dolphins. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the studies they've done on dolphins, but dolphins, they have very complex language, and they actually have a lot of the same characteristics that we have in the way that they live. But they're not quite where we are, right? I mean, they're not quite at the level where we are. They're close, but they're not there. And so we have no comparison to really go by. We don't know anything else. But it could be, it could be part of the fabric of the universe that when an organism evolves consciousness, when it evolves an awareness of itself, that automatically those two things go together. But we don't know because we've never met anything else that's like us, right? So it could be or it couldn't be. But if you go with me on this, let's assume for the moment that that is the case, that at least there's something else out there that's like us, that there's something out there that is conscious in the way we are and can contemplate God, which leads us to the second part of this, which is if that is true, then do they believe that God has communicated them or contacted them in the way that we believe God has communicated with us? Now, where do we see most of human communication with God? Where is that written down for us? In the, in the Bible, right? That's where we look at it. Now, one of the issues with the Bible is that it was written a long time ago. And a long time ago, we have the fact that humans didn't understand exactly what we know today. So a long time ago, a lot of times humans interpreted events or sights, sounds, things that happened in their lives, voices that they heard. They interpreted those things as God communicating with them. And today, we can look at a lot of those things through science, and we can sit there and we can say, well, that can be explained away with natural phenomena. And one of the biggest problems that we find in the Bible is that we see that when God communicates with somebody, it's actually a direct dialogue, 
right? I mean, it's literally, you're talking to God as though, as though God's a person right there in front of you, and God's talking back. But of course, this is not something that many of us have experienced for ourselves. And so I think this is why in our modern world, many people are quite dismissive of what they read in the Bible, because clearly it's not something that happens across the board. But what does happen across the board, and what I think is universal to all of us, is that every single person in this room has a feeling inside of them that they are connected to something greater than themselves. Is that true of you? Would you agree with that? Okay, and I would say that also every single person in here, you are here in this church building on Sunday morning, you are taking time out of your day to come here because you're exploring what does that mean to me. I have that feeling, I don't know what it means entirely, but I come here to try to discover what that's all about. Do you agree with that on some level, that that's a bit of why you're here in this place? Okay, so if we go back to our hypothesis that there's other organisms in the universe that are like us that can recognize God, do you think that they might have that same feeling? Now, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because if that's the feeling we have, then perhaps that's the feeling they have. Because the truth is, right, they're not going to be any better at us than proving God exists, right? Because we come in here, let's, let's just be honest. Can we be honest for a second? I mean, we come in and we come to church every week. You all are very faithful about being here. But the reality is that we cannot prove that God exists. We have no proof of that. We are going based on our belief, our faith that God is real, right? So we very well could be wrong. I hope we're not. I mean, it'd be nice if we weren't wasting our time. But we come here because we believe it to be true. And so if we were to meet a species from another planet that was like us, and we could ask them the question, do you have that same feeling? And they would say yes. I think that would be some of the greatest validation that we could ever have, that this feeling we have inside of us is real, and that we are not crazy, and that God actually does, in fact, exist. But we're talking about a feeling, right? I mean, we're talking about a feeling. If everybody in the world has that feeling, it's a different thing when you jump from a feeling to a religion. That's a whole other story. Because you all have chosen, because you have that feeling, to try to work through that feeling with Christianity, right? You have said, Jesus' way of understanding God, that to me is the way that I want to understand God. That's a choice that you have made by coming here. Not every human makes that choice, do they? Where do some other people go? Some other people go to Islam. Some other people go to Judaism. Some people go to Buddhism. Some people go to all these different places, but you have chosen that this is your place where you want to try to understand God and you believe Jesus is that way. So, the question that I pose to you then is, does Christianity apply to that other species? Does that other species need Jesus in the same way that we do? Like, if you were to meet that species, would you go up to him and say, hey, it's really nice to meet you. I just want you to know Jesus died for your sins. Like, would you say that? I'm being serious. Like, go with me on this. Okay, here's the thing. Follow me. Because the fact is that we say that Jesus died for the sins of who? Humanity, right? And this is an important question. Because if we believe that for ourselves, does it apply beyond us to something else? Would it apply to this other species? Do they need to be forgiven by God? Now, you're probably wondering, who thinks about things like this, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> and clearly I do, right? <laughs> and I'm not the only one. There's actually this interesting theologian who lived about 200 years after Jesus who actually addressed this very issue. His name was Origen. So, you know, I'm kind of late to the game. This guy was right there on top of it. And he said, this is what he said. He said, anywhere that you find a conscious being that can recognize God's existence, they would be in need of a Messiah. So what he hypothesized is that God would send them a Messiah in the same way that God sent us Jesus. So Jesus is a human being that we can relate to, right? Like that's part of the reason why we like Jesus so much is that we can relate to him because he's human. Well, the idea is, is that God would send this other species a savior like Jesus, except that it would look like them, right? The message would be the same, and that Savior would embody God and reflect God and speak on behalf of God in the same way that Jesus does, except it's for them. Does that make sense, where I'm going with this? Okay, you might think that's crazy, and that's okay, but that's the concept. And I actually think that makes a lot of sense. And follow me on this, because here's why. When you read Jesus' teachings in the New Testament... A lot of them, you could sit there and say, well, that just applies to human beings. But some of the things that he says, it could be applicable well beyond us. And this is particularly true when you're talking about Jesus' teachings on God and love. Very important. Now, follow me on this. I know that some, I'm really stretching some of you with this sermon. So stay with me, okay? I promise you I'm going to land this thing and you're going to feel good about it at the end, okay? <laughs> I know we're shaking right now, but we'll get there, Okay. So, can I ask you a few questions? A few questions. Okay. Would you agree with me that we believe as Christians that Jesus speaks on behalf of God? Would you say that? That as Christians, that's what we believe? Okay, we believe that. Okay. Do we believe that Jesus is a reflection of God's nature? Do we believe that? Okay. And if I were to define that into a very brief sentence, I would say that God's nature is a deep and unshakable love. Would you go along with me on that one? Is that something you could go with on that? Less, so it seems, no, not everybody's on the deep, unshakable love thing, but that's okay. We can go with it, okay? All right. So we get to that point, right? If that is true, if, that's what, if what he's saying is true, then those principles should be applicable not just to us, but everywhere in the universe, because, frankly, God didn't just create Earth. God created everything. Do you follow me on this so far? Okay, so this is particularly true when you're talking about other species. Now, why would something like this apply? What Jesus is saying, why would it apply to other species? Well, let's talk about those 40 billion habitable planets that are out there, right? They're spinning around those stars, and they have the possibility for an infinite number of species, right? But here's the problem. Evolution is a very, very tough process. It tends to weed out the weak in favor of the strong. And what I mean by the strong is simply that you have certain genetic traits that allow you to adjust and survive within your environment. We are a species that are very, very good at adjusting to our environments. Would you not agree with that? I mean, we are. We're good at it. You can put us just about anywhere, and we can make it if we need to. So as things evolve, they tend to be, if they're a dominant species like we are, we tend to be in a place where we're really good at surviving, and we're really good at making sure that we're going to stay on top. 
And what that requires is for us to be kind of selfish, wouldn't you agree? I mean, we need to be selfish if we're going to survive. And in fact, that's the reason why we tend to be so selfish, is that evolution built this into us. You would not be here today if your ancestors were not selfish. So you can thank them for that in the past, that they were selfish. But the problem is, is that we've inherited this. And when you read something like Jesus' teachings, you see that everything that he teaches about is in total contradiction to our genetic impulses. Like, I read what he says, and I think to myself, I don't really want to do these things. This is not really something that's inside of me. It's very contrary to what I'm used to want to doing for myself, right? So when you look at something like that and you say, okay, that's the way we are, if we assume that these other species on other planets, if they came about as a result of the same process that produced us, then are they going to have some of those same survival uh, instincts that we have? Probably. And so in that way, what that tells us is that Jesus' teachings would be applicable to them in the same way. Now, What this is telling you is that this is more than just a simple thought experiment. Because that's what it is, right? It's a thought experiment. It has broad application. Because you and I, we tend to not think about our Christianity beyond ourselves. It's a very human type thing, right? But if what Jesus is saying is true, if it's actually reflective of God, then it has to have application beyond us. It has to have application beyond ourselves because if he's truly reflective of who God is and that love is real, then it has to be applicable to species all the way across the universe. It's not just us. So it doesn't matter whether you're talking about a bacteria, a plant, a bird, an insect, a whale, whatever you're talking about, whether it be another species on another planet in another solar system in another galaxy, God's love is relevant. Are you following me on this? God's love is relevant because God's love is what undergirds the fabric of our entire universe. It's the reason why you and why me and why this species somewhere else in some distant galaxy far, far away, Star Wars is coming, buy your tickets now, okay? I get a cut for that, just so you know. (laughs) It's why you and I can experience everything that we enjoy about life. And so if you take nothing away from my sermon today, which I'm sure some of you won't, If you take nothing else away from my sermon today, what I want you to realize is that when you take Jesus' teachings on love seriously, when you fight that genetic impulse inside of you to be selfish, you are not just benefiting humanity. You are benefiting all living things because that applies not just here but elsewhere in the universe. God's God's love undergirds everything everything. It's in the fabric of our universe. And how fortunate we are as people to know that. I mean, how truly fortunate are we that we can recognize that? So how many of you coming to Clifton Truman Daniels tonight? You all making? How many's coming out to it? Oh, come on. We got to see more hands than that. Come on now. All right. If you're coming tonight, when you leave, or even if you don't come tonight, here's what I want you to do. When you come outside, when you're done with all that, it's going to be dark. I want you to look up to the sky. And if you can see some stars, I want you to think about how every single one of those stars has the potential for life. But even more than that, I want you to think about the fact that every single one of those stars holds the potential for some other species somewhere in the universe to recognize the same love of God that you know. For a long time, humans have believed that they are the center of the universe. We are not. But the beautiful thing is that God is. 
And that's a reality that we can count on, and that's a reality that we can truly appreciate. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.